this is Dr. David Banner again with the Croaky Voice, uh, giving you one more chapter of Frame Shifting, A Path to Wholeness. Uh, this is the Emotional Expansion chapter, chapter seven. Uh, I've talked about body expansion tools, mental expansion tools. Now we're going to look at your feelings or your emotions. Uh, actually, feelings are a tool for conscious creation. Feelings are energy, and when you combine a feeling with thought, that's what creates what we call emotions. So think of this, feeling plus thought equals emotion. And when you combine emotion with intention, a clear focus of energy with an outcome is created. So as a creator, you have tremendous power. But if you misuse this power with the ego, it can be very destructive. Because the ego does not know what should happen. Its, it's narrow perspective uh, causes you to create things that are not in alignment with what the life would have for us to do, not in alignment with the cosmic rhythms. And so, <laughs> Therefore, you can get negative ramifications. Now, let's take this a step further. If an emotion is a thought plus a feeling, all human emotions are probably egoic by nature. We experience a feeling or a sensation of energy moving in our body. The mind immediately labels this as good, bad, true, not true, like it, don't like it. What would a true emotion be? If you can let the cosmic mind do your thinking and feeling and release the grip of the ego, the thought attached to the feeling would be a valid thought and would create outworkings and manifestations in line with the design of life as it's moving in the moment. This is a very, very uh, important point here. Uh, and we can begin to explore emotional expansion by using the Enneagram, which we've already talked about at great length. The ability to feel is the key to creation. And part of the feeling is the capacity to empathize with another person or sentient being. The Enneagram is a great tool for expanding emotional empathy. As I mentioned before, you can understand the frame in which a person you love exists. You can see why they act as they do, react as they do. They cannot help but do two, one of two things. It can either increase your empathy and compassion and your understanding for the other person's perspective, or it can, and or it can keep you from taking what they do personally. Remember, one of the four agreements uh, of Dr. Ruiz is don't take anything personally. By doing what is called a typing interview, a skilled Enneagram practitioner can help a person identify their type. This can be a trick because there are look-alike types. You can't go just for the behavior. You have to understand the motivation behind the behavior. Let me give you an example. One of the feeling types is called the performer. This type is always doing and achieving something. They get their sense of self-esteem from what they do or accomplish. As children, they were rewarded for accomplishing this and that. So to gain love, they seek to be world-class achievers. This is the Enneagram Type 3. 
For several years after I began my study of the Enneagram, I was sure I was a three. But the motivation behind the three pattern is image. To the three, image is everything. They must be seen as competent to receive the love of others. This is their core belief. Well, I love to achieve myself. One look at my resume, and it appears to be a threes resume. I've written six books, 45 conference papers, 35 journal articles, risen to the top of my profession of university teacher, and won the first endowed chair at my university in 1993. But why did I achieve so much? It was because I was having fun. The epicure, my type, is a mental type, with fear as its core, although the seven looks anything but afraid. Seven is the optimist of the Enneagram, and you can probably tell already that I'm one of them. Anything seems possible and potentially interesting to the seven. When I look back over my career, I see that I never did anything unless I thought it would be fun. The three could care less about fun. They just want to get it done. See the difference? So understanding the Enneagram can be a very helpful tool for expanding you emotionally because it develops empathy in you. Empathy and compassion are very important emotional components of your repertoire. Another thing that expands empathy and compassion is role-playing. Role-playing is a very good tool. Uh, you can do this also uh, by being in a play. Theater does this too. Uh, but pretending is not necessarily being. Uh, I, I believe there are many good actors that seem to get into another person's skin, i.e. they seem to develop empathy, but they emerge from the experience essentially unchanged in terms of empathy for their character. Some, I think, do get changed, but many don't. So role-playing uh, and theater can be a tool for empathy and compassion, but isn't always. Uh, another really, really good tool for expanding yourself emotionally is diversity training. Uh, in the early 90s, I took a one-week diversity training intensive in Amherst, Massachusetts with a really good friend, Dr. Bob Abrams. Bob is a tall Jewish man who's long been involved in civil rights issues, and he encouraged me to go along. We were the only white males there. Talk about feeling like a minority. Of course, this is how religious and cultural minorities, people with mental illness, disabilities, must feel most of the time. Anyway, the experience changed me forever. I got to feel the pain and anguish of people who are pushed to the fringes of society. I urge you to read the book Cast, which is uh, written by Isabel Wilkerson. just came out. Terrific book talking about the black experience in America. And as a white guy, you know, you really don't have enough empathy to understand what it's like to be a black male in this country. Anyway, that's a little aside. This workshop really changed me because I got to feel the pain and anguish of people who are pushed aside. I got to feel that they want just a level playing field so they can participate as a full member of society. As a privileged, tall, white male, I tend to take for granted my position in society and assume that others are equally privileged. Well, they aren't. This was a very, very uh, 
excellent experience. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two examples of this that expanded my emotional realm. One is I was on the elevator at DePaul University in Chicago going up to my class. I got on the elevator with the entire basketball team. Now I'm six foot three and I was the shortest person in the elevator. <laughs> and I began to have an empathy for people that are five foot one or four foot ten. Uh, many people uh, look up to me because they're shorter. But here I was looking up to all those people because I was shorter. So this can really affect you and your emotional expansion. It was really a good experience. A similar moment occurred when my wife and I attended a Tom Jones concert in the late 1960s. I don't know if you guys remember Tom Jones. He's a Welsh singer of ballads and appeals mainly to middle-class polyester-suited women and men from business and professional backgrounds. Here we were at that concert with our tie-dyed shirts, long hair, and fringe jackets. We were definitely in the minority, and we felt the hostile gazes of those around us. It was clear that we didn't belong there. Again, I had a visceral experience of what it, like, it feels like to be a minority that shifted my frame. Another experience I had while we lived in California is we were chatting one day with a, a black male, a friend of ours, and he was saying, you know, you have no idea what it's like to be walking down the street and see the fear in white women's eyes as they spot you. And he said, the irony of that is I'm gay. I have no interest in them whatsoever. But yet, because I'm a black male, their fear is uh, riled up. So that's uh, another example of how uh, emotional expansion can occur. You can actually uh, talk to somebody that has experiences that will illuminate how it is to be a minority person in our country. Uh, another really great tool is called Imago therapy. Uh, my wife and I did this years ago. Uh, Imago Therapy is, Harville Hendricks is the guy's name. He wrote a book called Getting the Love You Want. And we took this training with her, with him and his wife. And what you do in this training is uh, you realize that you have been subconsciously attracted to a person who reminds you of your caregiver that wounded you as a child. This is called the Imago, or the image of the person, from your past. In my case, I watched my mother being critical of my father over and over, so I had formed an unconscious decision that this is the way married people act. <clears throat> and my mother was also very critical of me very often. And my father was a self-preservation five on the Enneagram. He was distant, aloof, and hard to reach emotionally. My wife, Diane, the self-preservation nine, can have these qualities, but understanding the type of fixation, I can love Diane fully without taking her behavior personally. As a sexual or relationship-oriented seven, I want intimacy. And before the Enneagram, I felt Diane was withholding her love to frustrate or hurt me. Nothing could be further from the truth. She was just being Diane and expressing her type fixation. 
What I now see is Diane provides so much caring and nurturing for me, allowing me to go out and do whatever I need to do. She's literally an anchor for me in that way in my life. She fills me with comfort and peacefulness by being who she is in relationship to me. Now, this is where imago therapy gets kind of counterintuitively. It, it seems like to love the person and be attracted to the person who wounded you sounds strange, doesn't it? But if you think about it for a while, you'll see that you do this with the unconscious wish that they will help you heal this hurt. Of course, your partner has no knowledge of this expectation on your part, and they just continue to be themselves. And this continues to wound you. This sets up the infamous power struggle, which most couples become aware of. I want you to change, or I'll change, but you must change first. In the Imago Weekend, we learned some tools of empathy that really help heal the wounding. For example, you do what they call a behavioral contract. You ask your partner to change a behavior, but they decide how long that they'll experiment with the new behavior. Diane has always tended to be critical of me. Remember, she has perfectionist one wing from the Enneagram. So I asked her to stop criticizing me for a specific period of time. She got to pick one day, three days, or one week, whatever she felt she could successfully do. She chose one day. After 22 hours of no criticism, I said to her how much I appreciated her not criticizing me. She replied, how much longer do I have to do this? I want to criticize you so much. We both broke out laughing. Now, it would be disingenuous of me to say she never criticized me anymore, but it didn't markedly reduce the frequency. There are other tools of emotional expansion uh, as well, but my most important learning was this. It ain't personal. We were both operating from unconscious patterns from the past. She no doubt saw perfectionism in her home and copied that behavior. I reacted to the aloofness by becoming the other way. I'm gregarious, friendly, and outgoing. So there were just two robots reacting to each other in a mechanical way. And that's what we began to see. As you grow in awareness and consciousness, you begin to spot those patterns and choose to interrupt them when they are triggered in you. Now, we don't always catch them in time. Once you're fully engaged in a pattern like this, it tends to play itself out because it seems so real. The other person seems like they're doing it to you, and it seems like you are a victim. Uh, but appearances can be the great deceiver. Remember, we tend to see what we believe. If we learn that since the significant adults in our life criticized each other in a marriage, we do the same thing. We believe at a deep level that this is what married people do. Okay, the final tool that I want to talk about with emotional expansion is called the New Warrior Training. Uh, this is something I did, I think it was 1992 in San Diego. And it's a great emotional expansion tool. Uh, designed from men who came from the whole men's work stream initiated by Robert Bly and Michael Mead and others. This experiential weekend really confronts each man with their shadow parts and seeks through ritual and ceremony to provide an initiation into true manhood. 
It begins on a Friday afternoon, ends late Sunday evening, and the first thing you have to do is give up your watch. <laughs> Since the work is so personal and emotionally charged, they build a safe container for the work, and that you're surrounded by many men who all took the training and they're now guides. I have no much no idea how much sleep I got that weekend, but it was no more than two or three hours a night. It was intense. The core of the work is called mat work. What happens is that there's a focal man really goes into the hurt, pain, and wounding around issues in their life they haven't resolved. There's tears, anger, angst, pain. Everything is allowed and encouraged. Also, there's a, a piece called Cock Talk where you pass around a rubber dildo as a talking stick and you share from your heart about your wounding. One of the things that shifted me on this weekend was the incredible pain my brothers have experienced in their lives. Uh, I, I thought my childhood was okay, but I had a father who used to whip me with his belt when I did something wrong. It was... It could be called child abuse now, but back then it was pretty normal. I felt fear of him for many years. He was six foot five, weighed over 200 pounds, was a formidable presence. Yet what I heard from these other men made my experience pale in comparison. There was incest and rape by brothers and fathers, sodomy and brutality on a scale I had never imagined. This really expanded my awareness of the emotional pain in the world and the suffering associated with that. I developed empathy for these men as I heard them weep and cry out in anger at the transgressions they had experienced. The point of all these tools is to increase your self-awareness or self-inquiry, as it's called in the Enneagram work. None of this, especially the Enneagram, is to be used to stereotype another person or put them in a conceptual box. The Enneagram in particular is useful to understand about our habitual patterns and understand the behavior of others. Uh, but there are ethical implications to this. You should not try to type somebody else uh, and put them in a category. Uh, it, one thing, it would make them mad. And number two, you might be wrong. The purpose of the Enneagram is self-inquiry. All this work should be used to bring you to the present moment where life actually is. Most of our behavior is automatic. Think about it. And this is not all bad. What if you had to relearn how to tie your shoes every morning? <laughs> so some road behavior is fine, but we need to take conscious charge of our waking life so we can be fully present for it. So expanding these three dimensions of our awareness can facilitate this progress. You can expand your body, you can expand your mind, you can expand your emotions. As you wake up to who you really are, life takes on a new meaning and passion. Instead of sleepwalking through life in our waking dream, we can fully participate consciously in this experience we call life. Okay, that's enough for this chapter. I'll see you on the next chapter.